All right, hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Mike Higgis. My co-host here is Parker Gerard. Parker, what's going on? How's it going? Uh, it's going. Um, it goes. Let me apologize so in advance for my uh, sort of echo chamber sound over here. Um, we are doing this podcast over Skype. And it's the first, uh, it's our pilot when we're going to be talking about the pilot episode of The Wire. So When you say echo chamber, you do mean <laughs> that we're only going to say things that we both agree with. Right, right. So yeah. It's going to be a big... And, if you disagree with me and you puncture my bubble, I'm hanging up, and this is going to oh, be a short sure. podcast. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's funny because when you when you launch Skype, it sounds like a bubble. Yeah. So that's uh, it's very funny, I think. All right. So for episode one, let me just go through this real quick. This is a podcast that we are at the moment calling Men on Wire, which is uh, we're going to go back and rewatch the HBO show The Wire. Which I love it. Is are you, are you really not completely sold on the name right now? I'm not. I mean, hopefully we'd have a woman on here eventually. You yeah. know what I oh, mean? That's true. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Woman on wire. Yeah, woman on wire doesn't have the same ring. Um, but the wire is the HBO, uh, I guess you could call it a, a, a critical hit uh, program, uh, David Simon's show about sort of urban decay. I'm sure you know. If you're listening, you know what it is. So Almost as popular as Tremay, but not quite. Right. Uh, we're going to uh, basically go week by week, um, watch an episode and do a quick recap, just talk about some themes. Uh, before we got on this call, Parker and uh, I were talking about sort of now uh, being a good time for a revisitation of the of the show, and it's a rich text, so we're going to have a, a good amount to talk about each week. Um, it is rich. I was I, when I watched the the pilot, I kind of forgot just how much stuff happened. Oh, dude, it's like your your questions. Like when we did this, we we have like a Google document just saying, "Oh, here's what we should talk about," and I thought I had some good insights, but your questions were like. There's just, there, yeah, I did. There's just so much, I mean, they were a testament to how much there is, um, on screen in this show. Um, it's so, so dense and the further we get removed of it, it's like, it gets sort of reduced to like, Oh, president Obama, who's your favorite Wyatt character? Okay. Oh, you know, Omar, whoever, or like a series of quotes. (laughs) But when you go back and watch it again, one at a time, like we started doing, um, yeah, it's just easy to forget so many, how slow it moved in the beginning. And uh, how many? Uh, like- I I watched the um, pilot, so I searched for The Wire on my like Amazon Fire whatever thing. Mm-hmm. And when I searched for it, um, like a funnier die skit popped up that starred. Have you seen this? Like most of the original characters from the show doing like a funnier die style musical version of The Wire, and it's very like on the nose and and not. It's it's all of the. It's like you know whoever played Omar, whose name I'm forgetting now but you know uh uh greg's and um uh bubbles like all of Mm -hmm. them are back doing this thing and it was a very like funny but like also not funny because it was so serious like musical version of the show where they just like hammer like the main themes over the head with it and you're thinking like is this what the wire has been kind of reduced to is like pop culture like yeah like time wears away some of the uh the intricacies you know gravity the gravity of this right (laughs) And, you know, then you just have Omar pretending to be 
Omar again in a mm-hmm. sketch. You know, I don't know. It was it was really weird to watch. Actually, this is a good idea. If you want to send me that, I will link to some of this stuff in show notes moving forward. I guess, I think that's a good idea. I can do it. Um, so this is how this will work. Each week we're going to watch an episode. This week is week episode one of season one called The Target. Um, we'll just do a quick recap, um, talk about some plot points, and you know because this is a 15-year-old episode, um, we don't really have to go too far there. But then each week we'll have a few... Uh, sort of ways in to talk about the episode themes, um, sort of how some stuff relates to, uh, you know, 2017 instead of 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, today we're going to talk about some other television. So we're going to be all over the board a little bit, um, but this is, like we said, sort of a show that, um, you know, I think if it's not consensus, the number one show of all time, it's certainly in the argument, in every oh, argument. Yeah. Um sure. So The Wire, more so than just it being in a vacuum and just talking about our favorite characters or, you know, what do you think about this plot point? Uh, I love it when Omar whistles. So. Yeah, right. It's sort of it's sort of at the center of a web of a lot of stuff um, in our larger cultural conversation, I guess you could say. So yeah. should be fun. Um, we're not going to go too serious. Each week we'll award the MVP and the, and the biggest mope, which we'll get into uh, at the end of this hour. I'm very excited for the, uh, that, the, the award section. That's yeah. going to be fun. All right, so let's get into uh, this episode, which is the target. Um, hey, who is the target? <laughs> the, you don't. I guess no one knows at the beginning. Uh, essentially, what we have here is uh, Simon and Ed Burns sort of putting all the pieces on the board um, in what will become the season-long sort of chess match between the Baltimore Police Department and the Barksdale organization. Uh, yes, I think each week we should uh, chess right. game that's going to take place. I don't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that we should really try hard. And I didn't talk to you about this before, but not to sort of talk about things we know are going to happen. I think yeah, we should try to appreciate right. each episode or you know each season as we're watching it. Obviously, yes. we, it's not for the first time, so we can't pretend. But um, so if if you were viewing this today, and we're looking back with eyes that have seen everything, but um, for the first time. What you're getting is sort of a shitload of information thrown at you um, with very, very little context. Um, My biggest um, thing about this show – well, there are always problems with with pilots in general in that like you have this really great show. Well, I think that me and you actually disagree on this. So obviously mm -hmm. like we get this big – bombardment of information um but what i was thinking when i think thought said like oh the problem with pilots is just the over like i know these characters now so maybe this is it's hard to you know retroactively go back and think like oh if i were seeing for this for the first time but like the the goal of the pilot is a to sell to a network which this was probably sold to because it's premium cable and it's it's whatever but b you know sell it to an audience so we have like you know these scenes where like herc and poot and and uh gregs are sitting around like throwing a ball at each other, like probably talking about pussy, like being mm-hmm. really, you know, like, uh, like so fun. But, and, and that's, it's hard to watch like that. They might as well have like a hallway where somebody walks down and somebody goes, Oh, like, don't you know who that is? Like, that's like, that's the most important person, you know? So you think there was too much exposition? Uh, no, 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 there wasn't too much exposition. There was too much characterization. Right. Uh, well, well, let's go through it. Let's just go through it. So yeah. This episode gives you basically the top-down structure of both of those uh, big bureaucracies, the drug organization and Baltimore. So yeah. in the police were introduced, uh, I guess, first to McNulty, um, who's a homicide detective. So in the police, you're getting two uh, distinct branches. We have the narcotics division, which is uh, Daniel's uh, division. And under him is Kima Greggs, Herc, and Carver. And they would have that scene that you were just talking about where they're kind of bantering. We see them uh, do a gun rip in Baltimore. 
Um, and we just kind of get a feel for their dynamic, which is more sort of boots on the ground, like rah, rah. They're, they're cowboys at, in this stage. Yeah. In the murder division, we meet McNulty and his partner, Bunk. And their boss, Landsman, and his boss, um, who's the deputy? Who is the... Uh, Oh, the one that major. Puts and goes, oh, yeah, like, these are like for you. Yeah, <laughs> he's so the, the prick guy. And yeah. then we, in addition, meet his. So he's a major, and Daniels is a major, and we meet their boss, who is deputy ops um, of the entire police department. So that's just one side of this episode. On the other side, we meet everybody in the parcel organization, from Avon and Stringer Bell to uh, soldiers like Wee Bay Bryce to uh, low, low level sort of drug runners like um, Wallace. Wallace, uh, Poot, um, Bodie yeah. Broadus. We see their boss, D, who is a nephew of Avon. And if all of this sounds confusing... Um, it is. It is. I mean, it, it really, really is. I think critics love to say... They like to reward shows that don't give you a, a lot of exposition because I think uh, it's sort of like a reflection on them that they're smart enough to put all the pieces together. So it's like, I, I really appreciate shows that don't beat you over the head with this like lineage, which I get... But at the same time, this is very disorienting because the show doesn't stop at all to go, like you just said in the hallway, like, here's the big guy. It's more just like, oh, okay, so McNulty, like, people think he's an asshole. Okay, Bunk plays around. Oh, Kima's serious. Oh, these guys are green. This person's, like, political. And it's just, it never stops coming. The one thing I really didn't like about when they were characterizing people in this episode specifically, there's a scene where McNulty's sitting in the courtroom with uh, Stringer Bell, played by um, Idris Elba, who's phenomenal through the show, obviously, mm-hmm. and has gone on to you know much bigger and better things. Well, not better. You know, this is a great show, obviously, but uh, they had a moment where he's <laughs> Stringer is is drawing on a notepad, and he's drawing this thing, and it's like you know fuck you detective or something on a notepad mm-hmm. aimed towards McNulty. And and I see that now and I think about who Stringer Bell is and the low profile that he's Yeah, right. To. And it's not even now. I mean, there's nothing else in this episode to suggest that he would do something like that. Yeah. Which is so a like small that, hang up, but it is, it's odd that they had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that they kind of had to or they were kind of in love with the idea of, of kind of this overt kind of disrespect of, of law enforcement in general by these people, you know, they're so brazen that they can do that. But like, really like, you know, these are people that don't talk on the car or in the phone or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Like, why would he write, you know, fuck you detective and then draw the ire of, right. of what's to come, you know? Yeah. Their whole thing is that nobody knows who they are because they have such a professional profile, um, yeah. which we see the one, in the courtroom. The one bone to pick through the whole episode, honestly, with, was that. It's just kind of like, come on, guys. What are you right. Doing? Yeah. Well, I, the challenge of doing this pilot and HBO, I mean, this thing, I don't know how noted it was. I mean, it certainly wasn't, uh, didn't appear to be changed much for mass audiences because it is difficult to get into. Um, but that's the type of thing that feels like an impulse that where you have to throw the audience a little bit of a rope where you go, okay, oh, this, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this yeah. is a, you know, this, or this is an antagonistic relationship. And here's a joke for you to laugh at, you know? Again, yeah, struggle with the pilot. Um, um, this pilot that, that ends with, um, you know, the security guard from the, the court being, uh, you know, murdered. And yes, everything. dude. And you have to remember that. And you've just met like yeah. 40 people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although they did throw, they threw you a bone there too. Cause they did like show him in the courtyard in a flashback. Like, yeah. Like, and which you they hear his voiceover. Yeah. They'll probably never do that again in the entire show. Yeah. That, that's an odd uh, editing decision too, but that is necessary. So, as you said, the show starts in the courtroom. Uh, D. Barksdale, who's a nephew of the um, head of the Barksdale organization, is on trial for murder. 
And this gives you us, the audience, sort of a look at, uh, you know, the witness intimidation, which is a very real problem in many cities, but Baltimore notably, because um, a woman changes her testimony, D gets off. That brings the storyline into the murder police uh, sort of <laughs> arena, where we meet McNulty, who tells a judge about the Barksdale situation. Mm-hmm. That judge kicks in line, or, you know, kick, gets the ball rolling on the detail that will eventually be the show where the city police department knows basically nothing about this massive drug organization but now because mcnulty has told a judge about it there's politics involved and they have to put a task force together to at least show some sort of effort yeah um that they're looking into it there's a great scene where mcnulty's walking into the the thing and and one of the other detectives who's one of the more seasoned detectives is having an argument about uh pressure treated wood over the phone with his yeah yeah you know the general um, what they're trying to do in the police department is show that they're kind of, you know, they all have their, I, I, I was going to say they all have their hearts in the right place, but they really don't. It's, it's more kind of, you know, clock in, clock out, you know, you know, turn the, uh, what well, there's, and later in the show, they refer to, um, there's like a board with all the murders on it and they want to turn them, uh, like black or something. Right. They they're red until they're black. solved. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's just kind of converting murders and, and, um, yeah, not coming back, uh, you know, homicides, I guess. Yeah, and when, you know, Bunk volunteers to take a uh, death that he thinks will be a, not a murder, so it's a very easy case to close, um, and the reaction of his coworkers and boss is like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this is going to come back a murder. We're not going to be able to solve it, and it's going to be a bad look on us, and it's going to be more work. Yeah, um, and they're digging up old homicides to, to like, be relevant again or whatever. That's, that's uh, McNulty had that conversation in the... Um, yeah, they, it's just status quo. It's it's all about status quo with these guys and, and kind of just chugging along and, you know, running on the wheel and, mm-hmm. and, you know, not kicking up too much shit and just keeping your head down. So on that side of things, things are happening. There's backdoor conversations about a detail that will go on the bark sales. There's people moving around the board. On the other side of things, nothing's really happening. For the Barksdale organization and that drug business, it's business as usual. They're unaware as of yet that anything has changed. So this is booming. Right. And that storyline is more about D uh, sort of rejoining the business after being arrested. Mm -hmm. He has to start down back at the bottom. Um, And there's something I forgot about this where it seems like the story that they're pushing early is that he's having like a more, the seeds of sort of a moral conundrum have been, uh, have been planted because there's a few shots of him sort of, you know, looking wistful or worrisome. Or, oh, he has a great like when they cut to him and his face is like doubt. He mm-hmm. has a great look on when he does that. Um, that was really I do I do recall that just being like, "What do you mean?" And then they show his face, and you're like, "Oh, that that's the look that got him the job." I think honestly, right? Like if you're a casting director and you see him pull that out, you're going, "Oh man!" Yeah, because he's saying a lot, but at the same time, you know, like when the, the there's a part where some heroin fiends like try to rip his crew off. Um, yeah. and he sort of just walks away, you know, the people who are under him are looking for instruction and he yeah. just sort of walks away. Um, yeah. and in the, in the background, they start in beating up the guy. Um, there's the scene where the stripper or, you know, escort or whoever, she says she's not a hooker, but propositions him and he's like, not tonight. And then he just sort of sits with his feelings in the strip yeah. club. He's like early Drake. <laughs> um, he is early Drake for sure. Yeah the weird thing about this is that at other parts of the episode, when he's talking to people in his organization, he's very much 
sort of excited about the business. You know, they don't like to talk about the business. Like you said, don't talk in the car, but he can't, he can't stop like saying, Oh, the thing you did with the witness in, in court is so cool. Yeah. Um, or, you know, he's very upset when he gets, finds out he's not in the tower anymore. He's back in the pit, which is a lower yeah. level sort of drug market. Yeah. Um, so how much of, you know, before we continue or finish recapping this episode, how much of, do you think of his discontent in this episode comes from realizing that he's surrounded by sort of ugliness and that it's not what, you know, there is a real negative impact to his actions and how much of it is, you know, my uncle's mad at me or I'm not appreciated by Stringer or I deserve more than this. Yeah. I think, um, you know, this, this show could be a show about stockbrokers. You know, they said fight club could be about any club. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be about fighting, which I think is, is bullshit, but uh, you know, it could be knitting club or whatever. They really, they, I think that the wire could have been, I'm glad that they didn't obviously theme has a tremendous amount to do with a show's success and how people kind of perceive it. And, you know, if game of Thrones weren't a fantasy show, people wouldn't be as interested in it. But this is a show I think that could have been, you know, cops and robbers on any side. It could have been stockbrokers, right? They could have been stockbrokers and he'd gone to jail for insider trading and then come back and be like, oh, no, you're not going to, like, Wall Street. Like, you're managing the, uh, you know, the thing out there. And you know what I mean? This could be Wolf mm-hmm. of Wall Street. Um, as for your question, I'm not sure I really – I don't know. I'm not really – I don't have any insight on it, actually. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, what, what are you, what, what are you asking specific? I, I don't really know what you're asking. Well, what I'm saying to you is that what stood out for me in this episode that I something I totally forgot about was that in episode one, D's sort of discontent begins immediately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how you, you see the show framing that with his motivation. Is it a realization of that they're actually hurting people and what he's doing is wrong on a moral or ethical level, or uh-huh. is it discontent within his you know, sort of the the bureaucracy and the rigmarole of his organization. Because in the police, and I'm sorry if I'm losing people, but on the other side, you know, McNulty is discontented and he's framed as sort of a disruptor who says, the way that this thing works, the machinery is too big and nothing gets done. So he goes over everyone's head to a judge and starts plot there. And he sort of exists outside of the chain of command. Yes. His counterpart, who I would say is D'Angelo in the Barstool organization, is also starting to feel those same feelings of, you know, I'm not getting, or, you know, things aren't happening as they should. Mm-hmm. So my question is, which, which do you think that the show is trying to, or, or, or you know, is, is showing us? I think that, that, uh, the D being a hundred percent, not cause you know, Stringer is a hundred percent, obviously Avon's a hundred percent. Even, you know, Bodie is kind of a hundred percent. Yeah, for these, sure. These kid, these kids are 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 learning. You know, Wallace and and uh, Poot, they're kind of learning at this point, but they're all a hundred percent. So to see any kind of of doubt uh, between in one of these other kind of characters on the the crime side or the you know, if this is cops and robbers, they would be obviously they would be the robbers. Um, to see any kind of doubt from one of the characters is is really necessary because there's not really otherwise. You know, obviously you can relate to, you know, people like uh, Stringer later, but mm-hmm. not in the first episode. You can relate to Avon later, but certainly not in the first episode. Um, uh, I think that on that D placing down in D's mind is an essential tool for the audience to uh, be able to really uh, have someone to project their, their feelings on. Much like I, th- I think you said that um, Greg's is kind of the surrogate for the audience on the um, – 
Well, no, I would be McNulty. McNulty being uh, fed up with the system on the other side is is the audience the way of the audience latching onto it. Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably what um, uh, D is on the other side. Honestly, uh, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, that that honestly, that's kind of what I think that they're doing with D more yeah. than anything. Is that they have to paint with a, some some sort some gray? They can't just paint with black and white. I do understand. Oh yeah, that. for sure. Yeah, because you know if it's all just um, whoever the major is and you know whoever Stringer is, like the show is not. It's blue you know, bloods. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, oh, okay, that's good. and then the <laughs> the uh, the episode ends. I guess as you said, we'll, we'll just to get out of the recap here. With the cops are starting their detail very roughly. And uh, D is in a parking lot and, you know, there's a homicide that Bunk shows up to and ends up being one of the witnesses who testified against D. He walks away and that's the end of the episode. Um, Let's take a quick break here and then we're going to get back and talk to the opening, talk about rather the opening scene of this episode, which is one of the more famous sequences, uh, I think, of the entire series. Mm -hmm. um, Where uh, McNulty talks to a a person, you know, who has been involved with a murder. Um, we're going to talk about what that means, what This Is America means, uh, when we get back. I'm saying, and every Friday night, we're in the alley behind the cut rate, we rolling bones, you know? I mean, all the boys from around the way, and we roll to late. Alley crap game, right? Like every time, he snot, and fade a few shooters, play it out to the pots deep, snatch and run. What, every time? Couldn't help itself. Let me understand you. Every Friday night, you and your boys will shoot crap, right? But every Friday night, your pal Snot Boogie, he'd wait till there was cash on the ground, then you would grab the money and run away? You let him do that? I mean, we'll catch him and beat his ass, but ain't nobody never go past that. I gotta ask you. If every time Snot Boogie would grab the money and run away, Why'd you even let him in the game? What? Miss Snapple, always stole the money. Why'd you let him play? Got This America, man. All right, welcome back. Um, As I said before the break, uh, I'm here with Parker, and we're going to talk about the opening scene. Do you want to uh, sort of paint that picture for us, Parker? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Right at the beginning of the show itself, they're on a... um... Uh, the Wikipedia page actually had the cross street in Baltimore, but they're just on a just a random kind of street in Baltimore. Uh, somebody had just been shot, and and they're talking about you know what his life was like, and you know obviously this kid's not going to say if there was somebody who shot this kid. Snot Boogie was his name, mm-hmm. um, which is apparently a real story from David Simon's uh, book that there was a kid named Snot. Did you did you see that? Uh, I don't. I'm sure. I mean, Ed Burns was a cop in Baltimore, and I know that he put a lot of. Uh sort of real inspiration to the show. So it's, that yeah, is yeah. not surprising. Yeah. Snot Boogie, I think was a real um, person. So um, basically there, he's recounting the story about how uh, when, you know, every weekend or every Friday night or something, they would go out in the alley and, and play uh, uh, craps for hours. And then eventually when enough uh, money got thrown on the ground, uh, Snot Boogie would pick it up and run away, and then they would, you know, beat his ass and, and you know, but they'd do it every week, essentially. So, uh, the question is, you know, McNulty's looking at this this kid and saying, if you knew that every week he was going to steal the money, and he does it every time, why do you keep letting him play? And he, he kind of looks at him and... Yeah, the kid's reaction is really good, because yeah. first he's like, what? And then McNulty asks him again, like, why'd you let him play? 
Yeah. And he's like, this is America, man. You got to let him play. And, right. And, and that kind of, obviously that's an intentional, you know, the, it's the opening of your show. No, I think it's like a thesis statement, but I, I have never really been able yeah. to unpack it fully. So that's what we're yeah. going to try to do here. Um, let's, let's get that dense text in here. Let's, yeah, I mean, there's no, you're right. There's no doubt that they, that's, that's a conscious choice. This has nothing to do with the main plot of the series. Um, it's Scott a, Boogie is not important to this. Right. It's just a very all. sort of catchy earwormy soundbite that tells you sort of, I think where the creators are coming from. So the question that you asked me here is, then it's important to remember this, this episode came out the year, uh, in June of 2002. So uh, not even, yeah, but not even a year after nine yeah. 11, um, we're just getting into the Bush presidency and it, you know, the hand rigging over like urban, you know, or the war on drugs seems almost quaint, uh, 17 years later, but, yeah. uh, that's sort of where these people are coming from. So when they're talking about, you know, America, um, that's a very, they're talking about a very specific, uh, sort of fast of America, which is the, you know, decaying city, um, and your question to me was, you know, is this making a point about second chances where the kid is, you know, I, I'm not to speak for you, but I assume you're talking about mm-hmm. the kid is talking about, they always let him play. So yeah. is it about second chances and the faith that people will change? Or is this about sort of the inevitability of, uh, you know, these, the hamster wheel mechanism of always fucking up constantly, constantly? Yeah. Uh, this is uh, really, yeah. And I, I don't really have a, a solid answer for it, but I can tell you, I mean, just some, from, from some perspective, I mean, um, uh, obviously, uh, you are now in New York, but you and I used to run a bar together down in, um, in DC. And obviously with the election, you know, we're hearing a lot of rhetoric, um, just across the bar stools and everything. Um, the main thing that I'm hearing down here from a couple of people, um, a couple regulars that come in all the time, um, it's just saying, you know, obviously a lot of people in inner cities are really mad at Trump for what I think are, are obvious reasons, but somebody just came in and, and, you know, has, have really nihilistic approaches to the whole thing. And they go, man, Trump doesn't really matter. Nothing's going to change for mm-hmm. us. And that's, I think that that's kind of what, uh, it, it's, it's either, it's about second chances and it's about hope or it's about, you know, well, shit, nothing's going to change for me. It doesn't matter who's at the top, you know, down here, you know, in inner city, Baltimore, you know, it, it doesn't matter, honestly. Mm-hmm. And the, the flip side of that is people who are sort of being really uh, dickish and sort of cavalier, but also not that incorrect that are saying, you know, I'm no. a white male. Nothing's really going to change for me. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's like your us. As long as you're in your us, then it's not going to change for us, you know? The dialogue uh, that's being had right now uh, in this country about the idea of, of two Americas, like – you know, obviously it's inner city Baltimore. Like they're both, they're, they're living in, in one America, but what a great like dichotomy of, of, of two different, you know, sub of our culture, you know, obviously, you know, blue bud, you know, police, and then, you know, inner city, you know, criminals, like, you know, as far as opposite opinions on everything, it, it's really, it's going to be interesting to watch the show again, and kind of see how their difference of opinion and our differences in general kind of influence, um, you know, everything. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited to, to continue to watch the show. Yeah, under because the, uh, it's not – for me, it's not just the much thinking about this after we talked earlier in the day. Um, through the filter of like the insanity of Donald Trump for sure, yeah. 
uh, there's going to be different, you're going to see different things, but it's also important to remember without, sorry, I can't consume media now without thinking like, Oh, you know what I mean? Every single thing reminds me of something. It's, it's, you you know, I know. And it's dude, if you get into criticism, it becomes like exhausting. So like the Japan droids just came out with a new album and it's very good, but like a lot of the rhetoric surrounding, you know, (laughs) reviews of it is like, it's so hopeful or like, you know, restores faith in like rock and roll. And it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's I know. actually just a very tight and like catchy album that's really yeah. good, and it's a it it's a new direction for them. But not everything constantly that we sort of consume is a referendum on the person holding the office of president. No, you know what I mean? Wrong. People are talking about you know if if Star Wars is is political or not. You know, right. obviously we talked about that at length one time. Um, and they're talking about if um, – oh, jeez. Uh, oh, oh, this is really great. So we, I read the first like third of, of that Klosterman book. I think you read the whole thing. Um, and he's talking about the fact but that – But it's what um, if we're wrong? Yeah, what if we're wrong? Yeah. And he's talking about if um, uh, David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest is the, the quintessential uh, post-9-11 book or something. Like even yeah. though it was written before 9-11, which is I think a really funny way to think about uh, this show is like, oh yeah, like you can probably see problems in, you know, in America starting to come to a head if you if you just watch yeah. this show. Probably, honestly, uh, you know, obviously like Black Lives Matter, like this is right. so well, much yep. before that ever happens, and it's so dude, it's it's well- a long time, and I think it's important that what I was saying before I went off on the Japan droids thing was that yes, the Trump thing will be interesting, but it's also important to remember that this was before the Barack Obama presidency. And rhetoric and culture changed then as well in ways that would have affected the show. So, oh, yeah. you know, like cultural appropriation was not a thing in 2002. So nope, nobody said it. The Wire being sort of like a vessel for like ethnic tourism of, you know, affluent white people with HBO subscriptions. That's a real criticism that's grounded in in some truth. <laughs> it's like the ta Coates book, uh, Between the World and Me, that came out. It was an immediately critical success, but there, there became a secondary conversation about who is this book for and how does the author feel that it's become sort of a signifier of, you know, woke white people. Um, Even before there's just a long, especially with the explosion of of Twitter and this, it's been a long time. So there's a lot uh, that we're going to be able to sort of go back through. Um, But I think that the, this is America quote is sort of context free. I mean, it's sort of timeless, right? Like I think to your question of what, which it is uh, about second chances or about, sort of, you know, inevitability. I think it's a little bit of both. The white policeman is saying, you know, this person is X, Y, and Z. So why are you allowing him to do what he's doing? Um, The person who lives in that environment is saying something that is sort of mindless, but at the same time is hopeful. It's like, it's hopeful. And it's hopeful about our environment that, you know, this is America. You have to like, I think that says that, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. To me, that that no, no, no. that's the dichotomy. I, I it's not I that the exactly kid is saying. like throwing his hands up about America. I think he's just saying we have to let him play. We um, there there are so many scenes, and he also, by the way, says he didn't have to get killed. Yeah. Wait, what? What do you? Mean? I said he also he the kid is also saying that murder was too high of a, a punishment for the crime. Oh yeah, like like he didn't have to kill him. You right. know what I mean? Like he knows exactly what happened, but he's like, I'm not talking to the cops. Like I. I, it didn't have to happen like this. Mm-hmm. It, it could have gone another way. We, you know, we usually just beat his ass for this. So I don't know what's up. Um, I think you're absolutely right by saying that there's so, you know, about, uh, you know, second chances and, and kind of roles and, and 
there's so many scenes in the show where, you know, McNulty will pull up and be talking to, you know, drug dealers outside of a, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and just, and be like, yeah, like, I know you have drugs on you. Like, it's, it's fine. Like, that's not what I'm here for. You know, obviously you have, to, I, I think that, you know, to some point the let them play is, is kind of a, um, it, it goes towards things that happen, you know, later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes both ways. About. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hmm. The next order of business on your, uh, you had a great rundown hey. here. Sick segue, dude. Um, Keep going with that segue. The next order of business on your your rundown, which was very good and thoughtful, is the strip club. Yes. Which this I hadn't. Is, I, I as soon as I saw, I, I forgot that they were in a strip club. Honestly, and and obviously, uh, I was thinking. I've been thinking about this for a little bit, but that show, it's Sopranos, was ninety seven, ninety nine. Somebody went right all the way until it? like two thousand eight, right? I think six. I think I, I don't it, know, it was, maybe six. These are shows that probably... I remember watching the finale after Entourage or an early Entourage season. <laughs> so that's how I that's my cultural uh, memory is all pre and post Entourage. Um, deuce card back in your wallet. Yeah, it was six or seven. Deuce chill. Yeah. Did you just get a deuce chill? Um, uh, yeah, I got an alert, like a news alert. But the uh, so the strip club thing, you know, I just sort of said, oh, that's a funny uh, parallel. But you brought up a couple of good points about this is sort of uh, this was airing alongside The Sopranos, which was a much I more successful it, show. Uh, it would have been ratings wise. Would have aired on the same day, probably Sunday nights on HBO during yeah. the same period of time. I would imagine. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, the pro- that the only issue is it might have been. The Wire's in the... I think The Wire was a summer show and Sopranos oh. was a fall. But either way, you're talking about like HBO Sunday Night Programming and they're, they're definitely uh, peas in that pod. Um, how but, do you... Uh, you know, how do you not immediately think like, oh, like if, if I was an HBO, you know, into an uh, HBO executive in like 2002 and I have a show on my desk, I'd be like, oh, this is like... This is great. This is The Black Sopranos. And right. would be like, that's so... Such a stupid thing to think about this show. But... Is it, is it wrong? Is, is there a, uh, if you're looking at both these shows and, you know, obviously there's a bada bing in the Sopranos and then there's whatever this strip club Orlando's, is called. Orlando's, yeah. Does it have whatever. a name? I think it's just the guy who owns it is Orlando. I think that the uh, two shows yeah, could yeah. not, the only thing they have in common is a strip club. But I think that, you, you know, your thing that you wrote was just like about the differences of portrayal. So I'll let you sort of start in there. Well, I just, uh, sorry, I'm just trying to think about, um, I, I think that the strip club was really actually like a necessary tool to get people to get into the show. Obviously, HBO Sunday night, you know, classic, um, big one-hour dramas. Um, I guess early HBO was like Sopranos, but was obviously also like Queer as Folk, and it was a lot of things. Oz, Sex and the it City, was, yeah. Oz, Sex and the City, absolutely. It was risque. It was, you know, there was nudity. It, it's mm-hmm. it's pay for cable. If you probably booted up a HBO premium one hour television drama and there wasn't nudity in it, you'd probably be upset. <laughs> or just like this show's challenging. And I think what you're saying is like the show is, or at least the where I agree with you is that this show is challenging in ways that the others aren't. So I think like showing a tit here or there <laughs> is sort of like it can be calming. You know what I mean? Well, it's, I, I think that it's the strip club is a necessary tool to get a Sopranos audience to be interested in a show like this. The 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 you know black inner city uh, criminals hadn't been portrayed in a way like this on television, uh, like 
the Italian mafia had. There's no black godfather, I think. I, I can you think of a, a black godfather? Um, it's, it's Scarface, honestly, which is not well. Scarface black. is Cuban, but no, that's what I'm saying. The, I, the thing I think a lot about, and this is oh, this is like could be a college course or something. But I when I think of sort of minority uh, criminal texts, a lot of times the films, books, whatever shows are more personal. So they are, you know, Scarface was not about the the like machinery of the you know his organization it was about his personal flaws and his yeah. drive and his character and that was yeah. a disorganized a, out of control fucking <laughs> operation um yeah. movies like you know menace to society or whatever um are also about people but when you look at sort of the godfather saga or something that's also about people but you do get a much more fleshed out sense of their organization and we, when we, yeah, right. And when we think about the mafia in our collective imagination of the mafia, I think the romantic element comes in the discipline and the organization. It's the omerta. This is like okay. the thing. And I think what you're, what you just said that I agree with is that the wire to me, whether or not it's the first of its kind in this regard, I think is the strongest example at that point of saying, okay, well, the drugs sort of destroying these parts of certain cities that may look like a haphazard, you know, these people have guns. So they run around and fucking kill people or shoot people and they're able to sell guns and push for territory. But this show is very, very insistent on showing that as an, also a disciplined organization with a business model. I'm reminded of uh, Goodfellas where Paulie is going around telling people things in person because the guy doesn't talk on the phone. And mm-hmm. then as soon as we're taking D back, from prison and he, what is, you know, uh, Weebay, is it Weebay? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Weebay's driving him. Yeah. Yeah. It was Weebay. He pulls him aside and said, what did we talk about? Yeah. They get out of the car, which is they cool. Get out of the too. Car. No talking on the phone, no talking in the car. No, you know, keep your mouth shut. And that, that is a classic, you know, mafia thing, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I think, uh, pretty, pretty great. I, I, yeah, I think that the discipline and the, um, uh, the hierarchy are important, and I don't think that that had been had showed at this point. There's one point where McNulty's talking and he's saying, "These are very sophisticated, uh, you know, organizations. These aren't common criminals. We can't get the guy at the top. They don't talk on the phone. They don't do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's yeah. I think that the strip club is obviously just kind of a window into thinking about you know the difference between these two shows. Um, this is actually a fun fact, and I don't know if you know this. Bodie is in season one, episode two of The Sopranos, I believe. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. That's yeah, funny though. He, Bodie, he, I just he, saw Bodie on Law and Order SVU the other night as well. Really? Dude, so many people well, from you, The Wire show watch, up. Oh yeah, you watch, you marathon SVU. Dude. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I like really realistic uh, crime drums. Um, yeah. Are you sad that at the end of every episode of The Wire, there's not a guy going, I would have done it too. You would have done it too. Yeah, right. Really, like, yeah. Nice exposition about like, <laughs> Of course, I sold the drugs. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's a shame. Yeah, I, um, I don't want to leave uh, the Sopranos uh, wire sort of comparison just yet because I, I think it's also interesting that and here's a little Trump tie-in for you, but I do think oh. it's interesting that when we it, our conversation about white ethnic uh, crime organizations, be it Whitey Bulger's gang, you know gang or the Italian mafia. Um, we re- we remember these things as though there's an element that were the good old days. Like, oh, I used to know some guy who ran numbers, or I know somebody who worked for Whitey, or like you was in a crime town, and, and, and they're talking about Providence as though 
you know, the mob boss there, Raymond Patriarca, was bad, but also put some order on the place and did good for people. Yeah. When we talk about places like Los Angeles that have high gang activity, I think there's a conversation that skews closer to like Donald Trump's use of carnage in his inaugurational speech or inauguration speech rather, where we view this as people who are armed and unthinking and unskilled and, and they kill each other um, for really trivial reasons or, you know, like a conflict over, you know, colors. Um, So in that regard, I do think the wire uh, is important and novel. We had a great conversation. Uh, oh, we had a great question that we wrote in this in this layout, and that's: uh, Has Ben Carson seen The Wire? Yes or no? What do you think? I think Ben Carson lived The Wire, dude. I he, think he you know, probably he, he yeah. walked around trying to kill people. He um, was, yeah, I heard he he tried to choke his. Um, <laughs> I can't even remember what you know that in, he said he tried to stab somebody, stuff. but uh, they were wearing a big belt buckle or something. Yeah, um, that's in, okay. Um, it's so Ben Carson I doesn't think, have to watch The Wire, dude. You do, it's, yeah. Cause, yeah, <laughs> this is a this is about my life, dude. It's it's whatever. Um, I think um, he is. Oh, I had a question that I didn't write in the outline, but I think it's important. Is uh, is the wire a justification on the right for you know an America first policy? Could it be used as a justification for that? Well. I, this is a question that I think we should circle back to after okay. we finish a lot of the show. But I will say, uh, in some ways, what's happening in the show in episode one in the early seasons, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really fit into the framework that we currently discuss. Like, this is Simon and Burns's like, you know, editorial about the war, the, about the about urban policing and the war on drugs, which. Mm-hmm. By 2009, 10, and then, you know, 13, 14, when people, when, when Michael Brown got killed and, and Trayvon Martin got killed, and we started really looking at how black communities are policed, um, that conversation shifted. And the war on drugs is basically people, I want to be careful with my words here, but in a lot of ways, the way it looked is not the way it looks now. We have, you know, Barack Obama pardoning a lot of people on long-term drug convictions. I think that mm-hmm. as the heroin epidemic now is affecting a, a wider, richer population, we're viewing it more as a treatment issue rather than a criminal issue. So in, a lot of the trappings of this show back in 2002 are sort of, they're always going to be relevant, but they're sort of irrelevant to our conversation now. So um, as for whether or not it can be used to justify America first, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I do know that a lot of the people that people are, you know, that citizenry is scared of now are people who would have been the bad guy in this show. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, like I said, we'll circle back around to that. Um, yeah. We have like 10, 10 you know, it's, 12 or 15 It's a little left. early to think about that, I think. You're, you're totally right. But it will come out. I mean, it will definitely come yeah. out as it gets, as there become more layers to this thing. Um, yeah, with well, there's 12- a lot of you know rhetoric on the campaign trail that said you know what do you have to lose, and I think Donald Trump probably DVR'd the wire. You know what I mean? Because he that's what he thinks all inner cities are like everywhere. Which right? I don't well, the, or like just not just <laughs> yeah. what do you have to lose, but the soundbite of like inner cities. Oh, our inner yeah. cities are worse than ever. Our inner cities. Um, so people, this show. In this episode, you can already see the way it's putting, laying out a chessboard and laying out an argument. The show has an argument. Um, mm-hmm. Gives so much more depth to 
actual urban environments than just when people who don't go there say our inner cities, our inner cities. There, there's carnage or this and this and that. So this is something remember, we'll touch on every week, probably. Do you remember what they said about uh, the war on drugs on episode one? It, uh, uh, the wars uh, end. Yeah. Yeah, wars end. Yeah. So you can't call it a war. This isn't a war. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the FBI and everything. We didn't even talk about it, the whole visit to the FBI, which I thought was a really that is such a distinctly uh, like post nine eleven, like right in the days after nine eleven, sort of political statement that they made. Well, here. what that that show came out what summer two thousand two. How do they even shoot that? You know what I mean? Like it well, was, and the Baltimore FBI agent says the whole point that you're referring to is they're talking about it. the Baltimore FBI agent saying, well, this will be our last drug case because everything's getting diverted to anti terrorism. Um, and we don't have the funding or the manpower to tackle any of these problems, uh, you know, domestically. Yep. Um, all right, we're going to just go. We have about 10 minutes left. I'm going to take one last break. We'll come back and talk about the problem with pilots, the challenges of this pilot, some of our favorite television pilots, and then we will give out awards for episode one, The Target. What he means to say is that we are an effective deterrent on the war on drugs when we are on the street. Fucking motherfuckers up, wreck. Indeed. Boom. Fuck the paperwork. Clay body, split head. Split them wide. The Western District way. All right. You heroic motherfuckers kill me. Fighting the war on drugs. One brutality case at a time. Girl, you can't even call this shit a war. Why not? Wars end. Huh? All right, welcome back uh, to the, epi- the, the podcast called Men on Wire for now. Um, we got a little bit of time left. We're going to talk about, uh, the problem with some TV pilots. We already touched on this a little bit, so we don't need to go too far in, but I do want to talk about our other favorite television pilots. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think, um, uh, you can go first. Go ahead. Well, okay. The, the obvious problem with P- TV pilots in general now is what we're talking about is that, uh, you have to introduce audiences to a, a, a story and a list of characters, um, without making that audience feel stupid, but also without leaving mm-hmm. them in the dark completely. Yeah. How do you think that this, really quickly, how do you think that this uh, pilot, you know, answered that bell? Fairly well. Obviously, I had a, you know, ideological problem with, you know, Stringer Bell, you know, over-characterization. It's not fun to, to watch, you know, characterizations, but I went back and watched a lot, like a few pilots recently, and some of them are not good. You know, it just, you know, like you watch like the 30 Rock pilot and you're like, how did this even get picked up all the time? This is insane. It just, I don't know. Shows really don't even like comedies and, and dramas are obviously very different. Um, you know, as a show, most comedies don't really hit their stride until season two or three. Like they don't know who they are and mm-hmm. then it becomes more about the characters. With drama, you, you have to hit the ground running pretty early because you can't just have a shitty for a season and expect to be picked up. It can show promise, yeah, and then eventually get picked up. But if it's not, you know, good, nobody's going to be interested in it. I think that this show did a a, a pretty good job. Um, I think about my favorite pilots of all time, and they're kind of these really great self-contained stories. Um, the one that I really think about is is Breaking Bad as being the one that's yeah. the most, the best, most complete uh, pilot that I think I've ever seen but i can't think of another example of of that but the main problem that i that i have with most pilots that i don't have with the breaking bad pilot is you can watch that show and it's a one hour uh uh self-contained 
story. Yes, there are strings to, to future things that happen, but for more or less, it's it's it doesn't leave you with like oh like setting up the dominoes like gonna fall, which mm-hmm. I feel like is is such a um like mid season Game of Thrones thing that they do. Yeah, like in those down episodes, like weeks five, four through six or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like we watched episode like six or seven of of the new season uh, of Game of Thrones together, and it would end and you'd be like, dude sucked but i'd be like oh no yeah i know but it's it's they're just you know it's you it's work have, you have to set them up yeah you can't have a battle of the bastards for nine straight episodes or, mm-hmm. or, or you're just exhausted you're like God, this this doesn't even feel weighted at all so i, I don't know i think that there's going to be a lot of that um i, I mean I've, I've watched the show it's yeah i don't want to talk about it anymore i don't want to ruin anything but you know obviously there's there's dominoes that needs to be set up and things need to fall and you know things need to happen so you know uh, I think about in pilots, you know, obviously uh, a Game of Thrones is the easy comparison. Um, I think about how episode one ended of a Game of Thrones. Do you remember how it ended? Uh, yeah, they pushed uh, Bran out of a window, right? Yeah. Like I think about the end of The Wire and like where we are now in, in Game of Thrones. And I think like if only the biggest problem in Game of Thrones was that Bram is in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? Like that's that's an insane thing to – to think about the, you know, the murdering of a security guard. Like, could you have guessed that that would be how episode one ended? Did you remember that? No, I wouldn't have even remembered the security guard, which yeah, I always do respect what David Simon and Ed Burns did here by making the show that they wanted to make as challenging yeah. as they wanted to make it. Um, you know, and, and they really do. It's so, so trite to call the show like a novelization or Dickensian or whatever, but yeah, each episode really is part they don't do resolution in within the episode, um, yeah. which is a, like a which is a death. You know, that's a death sentence for a lot of shows. Not having a easy in like a sur- audience surrogate is another death sentence. Yeah. Um, confusing audiences is another death sentence. And this pilot does all of that. There's no resolution. Yeah. I guess you might think if you if you've never seen the entire series, you might you might not understand how little significance uh, in the, uh, on a larger scale that the death of that security guard has. It's almost zero. Well, um, they talk about it later as, as the death of a state's witness, and that sets off events, but it's right. not important. Like, it's not... It's a I guess there's a... Yeah, it is, there's a little bit of a... It is a somewhat, I guess, of a plot engine. That's a good it, point, more than it I thought. Been, it could have been anything. It, it right. Doesn't have, it, you know, it could have just been, oh, well, you know, now we're interested. Right, which it, that's where they're at, basically. Yeah. But anything could have done that. Um, yeah, I mean, there. Breaking Bad is so good because it, that show is always razor sharp. Like they find their focus and do exactly what they want to do. They the yeah. amount of information they give you is always enough and always that shows momentum. Like the wires momentum is so slow. <laughs> um, yeah, it it's rewarding in different ways than the breaking bad is. And I would argue that it's more rewarding in my personal opinion. I, I, I prefer the wire, yeah. um, but the breaking bad's momentum is it's an adrenaline rush. So th- they set the stage for that in episode one, David Simon and Ed Burns here with the wire, they're setting the stage for something that we don't really know yet. And they're asking yeah. for a lot of faith. Yeah. Go, this is going to pay off. Not next week, not three weeks from now, 10 weeks from now. You know what like, I mean? The first time you watch Game of Thrones and you're like, who are all these white guys with brown hair, black right. hair? You know, that's that was very real throughout this whole. So I'm like, oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, hot. Game of Thrones was hard. Game of yeah. Thrones was hard. Um, but that episode also ended with 
a holy shit moment where it's like, I guess I'm watching next week now, you know? Yeah. Um, even though I Real. just couldn't tell who Jamie Lannister was and all the fucking people with golden hair are <laughs> look the same except for, you know, Peter Dinklage and I don't know what's going on. And I don't even really know what what world this is. At least they push a kid out a window, and they're having they're like <laughs> having in, they're inset they're having sex, the brother and sister. So there's there's hooks there. Yeah. Um, the wire pilot, really, you can't. There's just not much there, other no. than they're starting the work. They're starting yeah. the work of you put it to the domino game. Yeah. Um, television pilot, I think uh, the lost pilot. I'm always very partial to. Um, Never seen it. Not gonna do it. Really? I mean, now you know that I know I now it's impossible to sort of convince somebody who hasn't seen Lost to watch Lost because everyone yeah. knows how disappointing it was. But the ride was really fun. The destination, even though it was like so stupid. I um, bet that the ride was real, like that week to week. Like, what's it going to be? What's mm-hmm. going to be in the it's, pilot it, being so disorienting in so many ways, but also just the scale of it. It was the most expensive television pilot produced on network TV to that point. The massive so plane crash. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I, 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 will, I don't know if HBO, I just know the the big three out of all the networks it was and might yeah, still yeah, yeah. be probably not actually, but, um, you know, just the scale of it, you were seeing something that was, this is different. The, the bar has been raised, uh, formally and technically, mm-hmm. but also it asked a million questions. It couldn't answer the wire is not asking a thousand million questions. It's just showing you asking, something. you know, this is America. What does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's focused, right? Much more focused. All right. Um, it's almost time for us to go, but each week I do want to talk about who won the episode. That's our MVP. We're going to pick one character. Each of us is going to pick a character that we think uh, won the episode. And what that means could just be, uh, you know, had the best moment or, uh, you know, actually he had a win in the episode, in the plot line, or just said, hey, this episode belonged to this person for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After that, we're going to have uh, a word that I totally forgot. Um, that is part of the wire lexicon, which is mope, uh, which is what the <laughs> cops call, I guess, you know, dead bodies and drug dealers and uh, their their sort of charges. So we're going to yeah, give the biggest mope. That one up. Actually, yeah, we're going to give the biggest mope of the week, which could be cops, could be anybody, just uh, somebody who is, is is fucking up. So do you want to go ahead with your MVP for the Target episode yeah. one season? Uh, I had a really hard time with this one. I thought uh, I was actually just going to pick. Wallace, because it's fun to see a young Michael B. Jordan in mm-hmm. television, uh, and I couldn't think of an MVP. But then I really thought about it, and I think it's Bubbles. I, I didn't realize that um, you know Johnny getting his ass beat was the reason that that Bubbles kind of came back into Greg's you know pocket as a CI. As Where a are you right now? It sounds like you're. Are you in Baltimore? Are you on a street corner? <laughs> oh yeah, there's a some sirens. I'm reporting uh, live here from uh, Baltimore. <laughs> Uh, where, uh, no, I was almost going to say a spoiler, but I'm not going to, you know, what's really funny. Sometimes a marching band passes by my house. I live, uh, like there's like a school, uh, a few blocks from my house mm-hmm. and Thursdays or Fridays, um, the marching band comes by with a drum line. So the first time I moved into the house, I, I thought like that the world was ending. It was insane. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it was, I, I looked out the street. It was a marching band walking down the street. Little like did a, you know the world school. is ending. Yeah. I um, thought the world was ending. Uh, yeah, so, that's a nice, that's a good pick by you. I, I forgot as well that Bubbles, uh, him and McNulty are sort of the two people that drive that early on. And I I, yeah. I forgot that Johnny, I forgot that that happened so early in the series. And that moment of sort of, 
you know, Bubs has a lot of come to God moments over the next five seasons that we'll yeah. see. But that moment when Kima's with him in the hospital and he's kind of like, are you still working narcotics? Like, you know, you can see him sort of become resolute to take action is, yeah. is nice. That was his, um, Hey, uh, <laughs> Chuck, this is your brother. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I can't even think of what it was. Hey, it's your brother, Marvin Barry. You know, that narcotics, uh, yeah, yeah. Scoop you've been looking for. Yeah. I got it right here. Um, but yeah, bubbles actually, um, and bubbles got away with the, um, uh, fake money, uh, mm-hmm. which was, which is good. That's a real, that's a, tough move you know he went to <laughs> fedex and printed off money and passed it off he got away with yeah it. is nobody at like kinko's or you know he's handing what is he doing like handing like a ups like a usb stick like we do at the ups store <laughs> like hey can you print it? nobody's like uh no i can't print money dude you know yeah. what i mean yeah, yeah yeah um i like that i'm jealous of your pick what i did was and i this is the last time i'll do this because i am not a giant fan i'm not a mcnulty guy but Revisit in, in, in before we watch this episode. If you had asked me like my thoughts on McNulty, it's that he the, the the parts when he is at the forefront of the show are the weakest. Um, really? We'll talk about that in five seasons, I think. All right. I don't. I'm not a big. I his shit does not interest me, and I mean his shit literally, like his drinking, <laughs> his fucking family. I don't care. Like I think <laughs> I I think that his he is like an idea of what some people think that they. Like the the Jamesons at the bar and like the fucking you know the the you know the the oh, women and oh. the carousing like that doesn't really just, move the needle for me. Can I fucking say this? Peeing on a railroad track while a fucking train is coming, dude. Right, I that's get it. some he's of the badass, least interesting dude. stuff that the show does. And when he's walking around, the smartest his smartest guy in the room act yeah. is it just doesn't fucking blow my skirt up. But I think that he is the MVP of this episode because I forgot to what extent the entire arc of this season and the whole series. Uh, is that conversation between him and Judge Phelan. Mm-hmm. Um, my memory of it was just, oh, yeah, nobody likes McNulty, and fucking the deputy doesn't like McNulty because he's an what asshole and he makes everyone's yeah. life harder. Yeah. But I forgot that it's actually because he had a conversation that started the Barksdale uh, detail. So um, for me, MVP of the target, and I think this will be probably one of the last times he gets the award, for me at least, is is uh, Jimmy Detective Jimmy McNulty. Who's your biggest mope? Well, who's the target, dude? We never established who the target was. Is it not Barksdale? You did ask me this. It's Barksdale. Uh, yeah, but so much in. I, I mean, it is Barksdale, but so much, um, so much shit is rolling downhill on McNulty himself that it's almost like he would be. I think uh, an argument could be made uh, that. <laughs> well, McNulty Bunk does say. Yeah, Bunk does say about Daniels, like, watch your back because he's a company man, and. Basically, like he'll run you over if you yeah. if you get in his way. To be fair, I don't believe that he that McNulty is a target, but an argument could certainly be made for McNulty being a target. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mope of the show, obviously, fucking Johnny. You know, didn't the handoff did not go well for Johnny, <laughs> and uh, now he's in a hospital bed, bleeding out. So that's great. You know, um, he's the biggest mope of the show. Easy. So you took okay. All right, so my mopes are going to be people who I disagree with. Uh, oh, oh. You know, I'm like, you're being a villain right now. Your mope today is somebody who suffered almost a mur- – it was almost murdered. Well, yeah, I could have said, oh, like, Gant was the <laughs> the mope of the show. Next time, don't be a state's witness and get murdered. But I, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. It's, it's Johnny because he's a – you know, he is the uh, – you know, it's early, but I think he's the biggest – 
actual loser on the entire show just because he's a you know he's on the street and he's <laughs> no but isn't loser, like but he's just too sympathetic for me to call fucking mope like he's a heroin addict and like his big thing is like i want to run this scam like my mentor is another heroin addict and can i please run the scam and he fucking <laughs> doesn't fucking do it and almost loser, gets dude. killed and yeah. you're here like this dude's a loser and he's a mope um yeah. My mope of the week was is Rawls, and it will be many times. I was shocked how easy it was for me to get my dander up again just with him on screen. Um, the careerism and the fucking, like, cover your own ass, that stuff, to, like, that's the opposite of McNulty for me in this show. It's, like, yeah. so infuriating, so compelling, and so true to life. So, you know, when you have this rogue detective McNulty who's coming to the office saying, Hey, these guys run essentially an entire housing project. <laughs> they've killed 12 people and they've beat us on three yeah. cases by intimidating yeah. state witnesses. And, and your reaction, the rea- right. Yeah. And the reaction is like, you made me look bad and you're making more fucking paperwork for me and you're staying overnight. And if you ever go over my head again, like, th- because I want to be commissioner one day. And that's all this is for me at this point. I forget when I was a cop. I forget when I was a boot and I forget when I was a detective. Um, yeah. That's such a moat move. That's like... It's- that that brings up another really great point that I didn't bring up, which is the infighting between government uh, agencies in just one kind of structure has literally never been more relevant than it is right now. And I imagine this is something we'll talk about in the coming weeks or whatever. But for sure, yeah. Oh my the, god, the, the like, uh, what are they called? You know, the big entities. What's the word I'm looking for? What, the- oh, it's like the institutional corruption. It's just like human nature. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's people like fucking Rawls who <laughs> – yeah, I don't like McNulty either. But if everybody just said, okay, this is a problem. We need to fix the problem because it's a problem and not like, man, this hurts my resume. Um, well, yeah. the show wouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, all right. That's all I have for you. Uh, Parker, you have anything else? Uh, no. I'm excited. I cannot wait. For season two, episode one, because there's some, you know, classic. I don't want to ruin anything, but I'm going to try to talk you into skipping season two. I think I fucking hate season two. No, no, no. That actually makes it more interesting if you don't skip season two. No, that's wrong. You are very wrong. You can't do this fucking thing and go. You have, you have, yeah, but like season two doesn't count. You you have to. You have won this argument. You've won this argument already in the past. We're going to do season two. We're going to do it all. Uh, This should be up, I guess, on Monday. Probably try to get it up every Monday. Um, Next week, we'll be watching episode two. What's it uh, called? Do you know what it's called? Uh, the Detail, I think. Ooh, fun. I'm excited. Anyways, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, we will see you next week, same time, same place. See you right, later, Parker. Care. See ya. If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. Keep the devil away
way down in the 